Right across WA on the SEN app. 657 SEN track in Perth. SEN Peel on Dab Plus. 621 SEN Spirit across the southwest. And 1611 AM in Kalgoorlie. This is your home of sport. And this is the run home with Hayes and Marto. Hello and welcome to the run home. We are live from the Toolkit Depot studios here at Optus Stadium. In Melbourne's Joel Smith has tested positive for a banned substance. Christian Doolittle to return for the Wildcats. Matt Short makes another century. New Zealand 4 from 4 in the World Cup and the WBBL kicks off tonight. Some of the sports news headlines. Visit your local tyre power store today and trust our family to look after yours. No Damien Martin today. We will be joined by Trent Copeland, Miles Fitzner and also Connor West. But Peter Blahos, he's in the hot seat once again after doing such a sterling job oh, yesterday. Very nice of you, host. Uh, thanks, Hayes. Nice to be back here on the run home. Looking forward to the next couple of hours. There's a couple of decent stories bubbling around that we'll discuss. You were just whinging before we went on about your phone. You need to go get a new phone. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, no, my phone's had it. Uh, out of storage, out of data. But it's, it is about 15 years old, so I think I need to replace it. I'm one of those guys that... 15 I, years? No, that's not So is that the old Nokia that plays yeah. Snake? <laughs> <laughs> That's, I was just talking about In fact, I went to an Optus store and I was speaking. <laughs> uh, the more gist of the conversation was that the gentleman who was helping me was of Indian heritage, and all he wanted to do, he didn't want to talk about the fame, he wanted to talk about cricket. And I said, is everybody in India as fanatical as you are? He says, yes, all my mates, everybody is mm. behind the Indian cricket team, and they're playing at home. And... The way they're playing at the moment, you think it could be some very exciting times for the Indian folk following cricket. But I am quite excited about New Zealand. Saw them last night against Afghanistan on Sports Day WA. I'm going to cross to NZ and speak to one of our SENZ broadcasters about the unbelievable situation that New Zealand finds themselves in. They could be, for a small country, the recipients of two World Cups in the next week or two. We that would have be got, we, They play the semi-final of the Rugby World Cup this weekend against Argentina. They'll win that. They'll win that. And South Africa should beat, the Springboks should beat England, so it'll be a South Africa-New Zealand Rugby World Cup final. Both of those nations have run the Rugby World Cup three times. South Africa are the reigning champions. The previous two before that were won by New Zealand. That's how dominant... These two nations are, and the All, the All Blacks have been dominant for years and years. And also, the Cricket World Cup. They're undefeated after four matches, New Zealand, and they are playing some very, very good ODI cricket. And they always perform, don't they, in the shorter formats, yeah, they the do. World Cups. They just time it, and there's never really a big emphasis on them. You always look at Australia, India, how they're going to go. England, the other one, they just slip under the You know the what radar. I like about them, Hayes? is that even last night against Afghanistan, they were about four for 110 and struggling a bit. Mm. And then, you know, Phillips and Latham built this great 140-run partnership. They always have the ability to get out of tight situations. They certainly do. The big news today, though, was Melbourne's Joel Smith has tested positive for drugs after the round 23 game against Hawthorne, believed to be cocaine. He has been provisionally suspended. It was in competition, this testing. So we have seen that before. It's a little bit different to what we've seen from the AFL drug code where players obviously have the three-strike policy that we've seen in the past. This was in competition 
round 23 game and speaks a little bit about the culture of Melbourne well, through that period. that's what they're talking about now because they, we can't comment anymore about Joel Smith's situation because the Sport Integrity Unit uh, of Australia is now investigating and working in uh, conjunction with the AFL. So we can't say anymore. No one's going to make any comments about it. The club, the AFL, and, of course, the people that are conducting uh, the investigation. So what do you talk about? On the back end of what's transpired at Melbourne in recent times, you talk about culture, don't you? And again, in inverted commas, what does culture mean? We'll come back to that shortly. We certainly will, but let's get to our first guest. And it's great to hear the news today that he will be back with Mornings with Mark Duffield in 2024. Of course, it is Duff. Welcome back, Duff. And that is great news. Hey, hey, how you going? Hey, Pete. Hey, Good Duff. Uh, great to see you back next year, mate. Look forward to it. Yeah, and I had a lot of fun this year and um, uh, and look forward to getting it up and going again next year. I've learned a lot in the in the time on the radio show this year, so hopefully I'll be um, I'll be like a second-year drafter. Bigger and better with a better Yeah, very good. Absolutely. What did you make of the big news that broke this morning? Provisionally suspended is Melbourne's Joel Smith. Uh, In-competition drug test that he did fail. What, what do you think transpires from here? We've seen a few in the past that have all been different. We know what uh, Junior Rioli went through, and Sam Murray's probably the one in recent times that we look at where he was given 18 months. Yeah, I think it's going to be 12 to 18 months. I think Braden Crossley is probably not a bad um, yardstick to use. He was the Gold Coast boy. was an inadvertent, um, or a, when you say inadvertent, probably not inadvertent that they took recreational drugs, but they were taken for recreational purposes as opposed to uh, performance-enhancing purposes. I suspect that will be is how it will probably be looked at, but it's still probably going to be a year's ban and, and potentially 18 months. Yeah, so I think it's a, it's a high price to pay for being careless and undisciplined in your off-field life in season. And the other thing, uh, people are now looking at taking an angle. We're talking about broadcasters and commentators and all that, and because nobody can say any further because it's under investigation, the Sport Integrity Unit's getting involved, working with the AFL. Melbourne have released a statement. So everybody now thinks, have Melbourne got a culture problem? Um, do you reckon sometimes that is an issue or not an issue and that shouldn't be brought up in conversation because of what's happened with Joel Smith on the back end of what happened with Stephen May and a couple of other incidents that have been involved at the Demons? Yeah, well, probably, um, I guess, there's also Clayton Oliver not tracking overly well in his off-field life as well and some issues there. So, look, I, it can get to a point at clubs where we talk about culture. Um, you know, you go back to West Coast, in, the, in that period between probably 2003 and 2007 before the club decided to really address it and knuckle down on it. Um, it, it often comes back to a few individuals that, that play outside of the square and go hard and party hard. I think there's been a generational shift, Pete, in terms of the way young people unwind compared mm. to, say, how yours and my generation used to unwind. We were probably... Um, we were probably drinkers and some of us were smokers and there was probably joints handed around at parties and things like that if you were a bit of a party animal. Now it's very much with the, the next generation. It's very much about pills and powder and those sorts of things and those things just don't sit well within the structure of the WADA code. 
Um, and if you are found with these things in your system on game day, you are in a world of hurt. And um, Junior Rioli or Willie Rioli, of course, he was a bit different because his offence was not so much whatever substance he was mm. uh, alleged to have imbibed. It was more that he had tampered with the sample, which is almost the worst thing you can do under the drugs code, and hence the, the two-year ban for him. But um, the Joel Smith one, I think, um, you know... I. I would suspect this is not about cheating. This is about doing the wrong thing off the field and having it in your system. But I suspect he's going to pay a big price for it. I think you know he's don't expect to be don't expect him to be playing in uh, in 2024. And he was only just playing, coming in and out of the team a little bit this year. Of course, they brought in Fullerton in a similar mould to him, so it is going to be difficult going forward. But Duff, I did want to get you on the program in relation to some comments made by Trevor Nisbet in recent days about a threat or some threats towards the West Coast Eagles maybe looking towards the VFL in time and your thoughts on when we might see an AFL reserves competition. You wrote a terrific article on this for Code Sports, but where do you see it and where do these threats come from? It's it probably driven a little bit by the South Australian clubs, Hayes, where they're very dissatisfied by their lot in the Sandfall and they think that they may need to take urgent action to get the development programs in place for their second-tier youngsters still developing as AFL players, and that they may join an expanded VFL competition possibly as soon as next season. So we're going to watch how that plays out um, over the coming weeks and months. Um, David Koch was quite pointed in his speech at the 2023 Port Adelaide Best and Fairest, where he promised members they weren't happy with the lot that they were being served up in the sandfall with uh, list conditions, and that he, he made a point of saying, he was very pointed, he said, we are addressing this as we speak, which means there is something in place or happening as they speak in South Australia where they are looking to redress this. Now, that doesn't mean that West Coast would look to redress this in the short term, as in in 2024. But Trevor Nisbet did put it on the table as an option uh, when he addressed the Waffle Club presidents on Tuesday night. And um, I rang Paul Fitzpatrick, the chairman, for confirmation that this was an option yesterday before I wrote the story for Code Sports. And he didn't talk about it as option A or option B, but he did confirm it was an option and he said it would always be an option. Now, at this stage, it looks like an expensive option, but what might happen in the coming years is that if there is a new airline agreement in place which enables all AFL teams to be flown on charter flights, then whether you have 40, which would be your players, your coaches and your support staff on a flight, or whether you have 70, including a reserves team on the flight, is probably not going to make a lot of difference cost-wise. So then suddenly it may become economically more palatable for the WA clubs and that's when I suspect that it might get seriously looked at. I don't think it will happen in 2024 um, but there was a, a, um, I was talking to Michelangelo Rucci the other day, he thinks that Port Adelaide think that there could be some sort of AFL reserves competition in place by 2027. Now whether that's an East Coast plus South Australia competition or whether that's uh, an all of competition competition would be the question, given what might be the extra costs involved in bringing West Australian teams in. But I guess the question for West Australian teams, if the rest of the competition was in, would they be 
okay or at a competitive disadvantage if they don't go in? And I don't know the answer to that. I suspect there are some probably development advantages in playing in a competition which is slightly different in nature because it rounds out the development and growth of your young players a little bit more. But having said that, it might also put you out of step with the rest of the competition. So that could that could go either way, I reckon. Yeah, very interesting indeed. Because you look at the VFL competition now, Duff, it's got 21 teams. And say if the South Australians go in next year, it could be 23. Uh, in the end, they don't even play each other uh, even once, I think, in that competition. So there needs to be a restructure even at VFL level, doesn't there? Oh, the VFL's a terrible competition, Pete. It's a dog's breakfast. You talk to the, the non-aligned clubs, apart from Mickey Barlow's Werribee, who are you know, financially strong and do very well. Um, there's a lot of clubs that just simply have no chance of competing against pseudo-AFL lists uh, or AFL-aligned clubs. Um, and they just get blown off the park repeatedly. And, and I think it's a terrible competition. So I think, yeah, we, we need to be careful about what we do. Um, clearly, West Coast need to be more competitive than they were this year. Um, that's a problem. I think there are ways to look at... If they take a good look at Peel Funders' list, including AFL-listed and non-AFL-listed players, and just ask themselves the question, how do we get to a point where West Coast has that sort of list? And what sort of recruiting concessions and conditions do we need to put in place so they get that sort of list? And I think if you get to that point and that club is finishing somewhere between second and seventh on the ladder most years, I think that's okay for the waffle. Um, but when they're not winning a game and they have a percentage of under 40, that's not a good situation for the waffle and certainly not a good situation for West Coast younger players either. Do you think if we went to the AFL Reserves competition, that would mean that the AFL would have to increase the list sizes because we know two teams, the list's currently at 40 to 42. With injuries that we have from both sides, that could potentially go to 50 or will they have make-up players like we currently see for the West Coast Eagles reserves that would travel basically every single week, second week? I think you'd have to have um, list sizes would have to stay at least as big as they are now and possibly get mm. bigger. Um, and and the question is, I guess, do you, do you have top-up list players who are not quite on AFL lists but uh, are paid as top-up players because if you're travelling, that affects your ability to work, um, so therefore you'd need to pay them more money. An interesting thing is going to be, I suspect that what AFL clubs would do if this happened, and I, and I stress if this happened, they would say to young players, oh, you need to come and play for our AFL reserves team because then you'll be under the eye of AFL recruiters and AFL coaches. And I suspect that'll be the biggest load of bulldust ever said because I think if you if you go onto one of these lists as a top-up player, you'll be used as a spare tyre, basically. You'll mm. play where they want you to play, where they need you to play. You won't play if a player in your position comes down from the AFL or comes back from injury. So I think it'll be the worst outcome for a young player trying to make his name and get himself under the eye of the AFL. I think their best scenario is going to play for a club like a, a Waffle Club or a Sandful Club and just absolutely shooting the lights out and bringing themselves under attention that way. But I think there will be there'll be that line sold to young players. Oh, you need to come and play for our AFL Reserves Club so you'll be noticed. I think that's a lot of rubbish. I think that'll be detrimental to a lot of young players. But I think that will be a line that will be peddled by AFL clubs.
Interesting. It mm. seems the Peel Thunder and Fremantle Dockers arrangement has worked, but you made some comments in there in relation to Peel Thunder still losing money a little bit through that period and potentially one day wanting to get their own standalone team back together. Can you see that coming to fruition? I, I, I find it hard to see that coming to fruition because I think that the beauty of the Peel Fremantle alignment is that it solved two problems, didn't it? It solved the non competitiveness of Peel and Peel over the course of their history pre that alignment were winning one in every six games, which is clearly just doesn't cut the mustard over a over a period of more than a decade. And Fremantle needed somewhere for their players to play. So they solved two problems. Peel became competitive. Um, you know, there was a period in twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen where they really loaded up and there was an argument that they were possibly too competitive and, and dominant in the competition. But I think they've tempered that a little bit. I think Fremantle's had a common-sense approach to it. I think Peel's been very well run. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Matt Rosa goes in the AFL environment at Essendon because I think he's done a terrific job at Peel and that indicates he's a guy who knows what he's doing. Um, so uh, I do laugh when I read about him learning off Adrian Dodoro, the bloke who's been there produced a list that can win a final. Adrian Dodoro is, I have to say, the nearest thing to a myth that there is in w- in, um, in Australian football. Um, but um, uh, but I reckon that, um, uh, yeah, the Peel-Fremantle thing works, but when I spoke to them earlier in the year, and it was around the Jackson Broadbent decision to go and play for South Fremantle and, and the Commission's decision that even though he was a protected player, he wasn't a protected player, um, simply because they were an aligned club and simply because they felt he would get better opportunity if he shifted. And Peel weren't happy about that. And they basically reiterated that eventually their aspiration was to become a uh, a standalone club. Now, is that going to happen in the next five years? I would struggle to see it happening. But having said that, if they keep losing... $145,000 a year as they did in 2022, they're probably going to have to look at a different way to market themselves so that they appeal more to their local community and become more financially viable because you can't just throw $145,000 down the gurgler every season if you're a waffle club. Yeah. Speaking about waffle clubs, I saw an article that you posted on Code Sport just recently regarding supposedly a financial shortfall at the Perth Football Club. Uh, can you elaborate a bit more what that article's about? Yeah, so this is this has gone up just this afternoon. I'm just talking to Colin Loss earlier today. It's not... Um, what it is is that Perth obviously wants to build a new facility at Lathlane Park. That facility would go on the western wing to the north of their old grandstand um, with a view to eventually knocking the grandstand down. Uh, the Wallach Foundation, which, of course, runs in conjunction with West Coast, would be extended... Perth would get a state-of-the-art waffle facility out of it and um, four new change rooms, uh, which would be great for them. Um, And obviously the Wallach Foundation would grow further. Um, When these plans were put in place and when they felt the facility would be built, it was going to cost $14 million. Um, There have been delays in the building of that, obviously with COVID-19 and some, um, some red tape involving the local council. They've been told recently the cost of that building is now $24 million. So they've, they've got a $10 million hole to, um, to fill, and they've got to fill it by about February next year. Otherwise, they lose the $4 million in their funding that comes from the federal government because that has a deadline that expires in 2025, and they need to have the project 
up and running by 2025. So they're on the clock. Um, Colin Loss, who's running the project on behalf of the club, still feels like they can get it done. They're still committed to staying at Lath Lane and being a standalone club. Um, and they've had a few small wins in recent times. You know, their Colts team looks like a good team with a lot of good young prospects. They, they've gotten Charlie Constable. They've, um, they've gotten the Byford zone, so they've got 700 more kids coming through. So there's a lot of things happening that are just... We're starting to see the tide turn a little bit at Perth, but it's very important that they get this facility up and going and built um, so that they can train their, their youngsters and their female youngsters at a modern facility and not the 64-year-old facility that's there at the moment. In the running for Blake Slenzog as well from South Fremantle. Questions come through from Paul. The Eagles were able to win four premierships with their players spread out throughout different clubs in the Waffle. That record stacks up against any AFL team. Sending your players out amongst all the Waffle clubs is not a bad option. What do you make of that, Duff? It's, it's not a bad option because um, a, very few clubs had their own reserve setups. And the other thing that changed... Hayes, as you know, was the game um, and tactics and team defensive structures and team attacking structures became a real thing um, and therefore teams wanted to train and play their players together. So I think if every club in the AFL had to spread its players out amongst different teams, I think that would be a great option. I think it's a, it, it helps the lower levels of footy. Um, and I think it teaches players to play in different ways and become more rounded. So yeah, I think, great. But if every other team in the AFL is playing its second-tier players together and you're not, I think the definition of that is competitive disadvantage mm. for West Coast. So that's not something they want if no one else is doing it. They don't want to be an outlier in the competition. So I think the, um, the person that sent that message is right. It was a really good system for its time. Um, would it be the right system for West Coast going forward? Not unless the entire competition is doing it. And if you clarify something that Pete asked me about earlier on in the interview, and you know, do or might have even been you, Hayes, you know, do lists have to get bigger? Well, maybe they should get smaller, and maybe the surplus players should be spread out um, and just play in second tier competitions until they're required at the top level and train with the club. And if every team is doing that, that's fine. But I don't think West Coast would want to be the only team that's doing that. Mm. I think if you go back to a list size of 35, 36, then you spread out all those players back through the state competitions and then you have the feature like the mid-season draft where you allow them to top up through that middle period of the year when they've got a lot of injury concerns. I think that could be favourable for all the different competitions. And, of course, at the top what it means is the money goes through the roof for all the current players that are on the list, that we will then start to see players that are earning 1.5. And I know a lot of the top end would be pretty happy with that. What about the West Coast Eagles talking about their number one pick? Do you sense any movement could come in relation to them relenting that and trying to get better picks a little bit later in the first round? What I would say is that I reckon that so West Coast stated position on this is going to take something like North Melbourne giving them picks two and three for them to give up pick one. Now, that's their stated position. Will they shift on that? I'm not sure. What I would say is, as far as the AFL, and I'd given North Melbourne pick three for Ben Mackay, and they turned over picks two and three to West Coast to get pick one, I'd tell them to never come back and ask for (laughs) draft picks ever again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think that would be... West Coast, and, and they've almost used this vernacular, West Coast is saying, unless we get a crazy offer, 
we will be happy to read Harley Reid's name out at the draft. And if it is a crazy offer, you have to ask yourself, why would another club do it? Um, unless you're one club that thinks you're one Harley Reid short of a uh, premiership, but a club that's one Harley Reid short of a premiership isn't, isn't in a position to give West Coast the draft picks they would need to do the deal. So I'm sceptical that a deal can be structured that will turn West Coast's head, but there's a long time between now and the draft, and this can happen all the way up until the person's name is read up on draft night. So um, I guess we'll watch this space. I'm, I'm, I doubt mm. that West Coast will be reading out anyone, other, anyone else's name other than Harley Reid on draft night. And finally, from me, regarding Fremantle, when you look at what they did during the trade period, Duff, uh, they've basically bolstered themselves uh, to have a real dip come uh, 2025 after, of course, uh, coming to an agreement regarding Liam Henry and Lockie Schultz. Have Fremantle conceded that next season will be just an average season as they prepare to bolster themselves for the year after? I think there's a lot of growth to come from within Fremantle's list. I think it's a young list. I think people, one of the things that I think we started to recognise, and Hayes and I talked about this on on my show during Hayes' regular stint, Fremantle got too young this year. Because of every all the departures that went, um, they just got a bit young. Now, all those guys that were a year too young this year will be a year older next year. So I think there will be growth from within their group, and then they'll be well-placed to really take a run at something in the trade period and the draft next year. That's fine. But there are still areas they're going to be challenging. They, I, I strongly suspect that Fremantle would not have preferred to lose Liam Henry, and I absolutely know they didn't want to lose Lockie Schultz. So they were not trades they wanted to do. They were trades they were put in a position where they felt they had to do them. I would... The only, one, the only thing I would say about Fremantle is I think Fremantle is a bit too agreeable when it comes to the trade period. Like I, I look at Geelong and I look how disagreeable they are and how they profit from it. If I was Fremantle, I'd be more inclined to adopt that model a little bit. You know, like Port Adelaide and Geelong went all the way to 11.59 for that deal on um, on Asava Radigalia and um, and eventually Geelong blinked. Um, what would have happened, say? for West Coast with Tim Kelly if they'd have done the same thing. They, if they'd have just, just stood their ground and said, no, nah, sorry, um, we're not paying what you want. Mm. Um, you know, you do profit from being ruthless at the trade table. So I, I, if I had, if I was in a position to give Fremantle any advice for future trade negotiations, I'd say, look, guys, be a bit more ruthless. Mm. And if that means one goes against you in the longer term and, you know, let's say they said no to the Lockie Schultz trade and they ended up having to get less than Collingwood's first pick for next year's draft, then so be it. But you send a message to your players, you know, like we're not just going to, just because you come knocking on the door with a request, we don't have to do it. You signed a contract. There are two sides to that contract, our commitment to you and your commitment to us. Um, You know, if you want us to honour ours to you, best you honour yours to us. And I think that message at Fremantle needs to be sent a little bit more often and a little bit more strongly to players. Been a bad day for the AFR statement just coming through from Carlton Football Club. The Carlton Football Club is aware that Elijah Holland has been served with a notice to appear in court relating to possession of an illicit substance. The club was notified last month by Hollands, who was a Gold Coast Suns player at the time, given its existing interest in bringing him to the football club. Do you think there is an issue in the AFL around this stuff before we let you go? 
I think there's an issue in society, isn't there? Like, we can all sit there and pretend that this is just footballers, but this is all around us. You know, we all know young people. Um, we know their friends. We know their behaviours roughly. I think it's a, an issue in society, as I said to Peter earlier on. I yeah. think um, my generation, which is an older generation than your generation, Hayes, but uh, uh, but my generation was very much a drinking, smoking generation, and this is very much a different sort of generation where these substances, um, which sit outside of the law, are very popular with young people, and it's spread right through society. And um, and our young footballers are not an island apart from that society. They're in amongst it, particularly out of season when they when they let their hair down. Thanks for your time, Duff. We appreciate it. We can't wait to see you back with uh, Mornings with Mark Duffield in 2024. Good on you, Duff. Pleasure to be on with someone who's as old as me. Like uh, <laughs> but what a great generation <laughs> we were, Duff. Don't worry about that. There he is, Mark Duffield. Right. He can join in any time on the temperate bench head. Text machine 0487 736 736. So much to unpack there. Give us your thoughts or call the Kia open line 131255 for Kia. More Kia, get more.